0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley?
1: Things are doing well. Just a little sick.
0: Eh, you're not the only one. I woke up with a little bit of a sore throat myself. and I I wasn't feeling very well last weekend, just where I didn't even get to make my trip to Salt Lake City that I had been hoping to do for... Actually, I've kind of been hoping to go back there ever since I moved away from there a year and a half ago, I just haven't had a chance to make it back there, but yeah, I know all about being sick this week.
1: Yeah, I was thinking back, and I think I've been sick for most of the podcasts that we've done together. (laughs) Really? Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, it seems like a lot of times I wake up in the mornings not feeling well, but within an hour or two I'm usually feeling okay, it just kind of depends Well,
1: hopefully that streak holds.
0: Yeah. Anyway, this is episode number 13 of the Global Geek News Podcast. We were supposed to have Walt Ribeiro on today, but he doesn't seem to be on Skype. I tried calling him, and I can't seem to get a hold of him, so hopefully we can reschedule him for next week or sometime thereafter, but we still have a nice full show anyway, if Still got tons of great stories. Speaking of stories, how was CES?
1: CES was incredible. It's the same um, crowd of people. It didn't seem smaller in that regard. It was still difficult to walk through the convention center. As for booths, I did notice that most of them were smaller. Some of them were extremely large, though, like the LG booth was a lot larger than I remember it last year, and the same with the uh, Kodak booth. It was still, it was very, very uh, disproportionate in size to the rest of the booths that were there.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of pictures and video and stuff, and there's some, I think it was like the Samsung booth seemed pretty impressive with the huge amount of displays and everything. But did there seem to be a whole lot of buzz there about the possibility of Apple coming to CES since they're leaving Macworld?
1: No. I didn't hear anybody mention that at all. But I think, given the global economic climate, there's a lot of people who are just wondering what will happen to CES next year, let alone who will be there.
0: Yeah. I don't know, the more I hear people talk about it and everything, I don't think there's much in the way of any chance that Apple will be at CES next year. But I guess it could happen, but my money's going against it.
1: I think they will be there if they have a large product launch around the same time. If they have this new, I don't know, Apple TV maybe, or... Um, or something that's on par with that. Well, I
0: think it's possible, but with Apple, they like to be kind of the center of attention, so they would probably want to be up in the main hall and everything as to where I don't think anybody that has an established presence there will really want to give up their spot just because Apple wants to come in. So where Apple would probably be shoved off with some of the smaller vendors, and I don't think they would go for that at all.
1: Oh, it's all about money. You can, you can buy anything nowadays.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. But Anyway, we'll get into more Apple-related stuff here shortly. Go ahead and do a rundown of the show, and then we'll be back shortly to talk about all the stories from this week. So... Stories we have for today include Circuit City to be liquidated
1: Apple Store hits 500
0: million downloads Steve Jobs takes a leave of absence for health reasons
1: Twitter hires a biz dev guru Sony sells its
0: 500 millionth PS2 in North America
1: Palm Pre may be Best Buy's exclusive
0: A judge is going to allow
1: streaming in the RIAA case YouTube mutes videos with unauthorized copyrighted music.
0: Teens send nude pics to one another and face child pornography charges.
1: And 95% of the music downloads are pirated. Those stories and much more when we come
0: back on the Global Geek News Podcast. Welcome back to the Global Geek News Podcast. Like I said, this is episode number 13. For those wanting to follow along with all the stories, you can find the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. I'm also looking into doing transcripts of the show just so we can get better results in Google. So if anybody knows of any cheap or free transcription services, let me know. Anyway, well let's go ahead and get into our first story, Circuit City to be liquidated. I don't, I certainly didn't see this as a surprise, but I guess the, supposedly the two people that were looking to purchase Circuit City have decided not to go through with the deal and now as of January 16th, all 567 stores of Circuit City will be liquidated and Circuit City will be no more.
1: This is kind of sad to see an electronics store close, but then again I never shopped there either. So I can see why they're closing. They didn't seem to appeal to any niche group. They just sold electronics electronics just like any other store.
0: I would be sad, but I always hated Circuit City, mainly because they charged outrageous prices and their people were never helpful by any means. Or the or when they tried to tell you something their information was just plain wrong. I was I was in there just this week actually, just because I knew this was gonna happen and I had a gift card from Christmas that I had to go use, so I decided to go look around in there. And I was looking at a Logitech control gaming controller for the PC, which was their price was 30% more than Logitech sold it off their site. And when you've got that kind of a markup off of the manufacturer's website, that's just kind of setting yourself up for failure.
1: Yeah, and the most sad part of this whole closing thing is that those prices probably won't be discounted when they do go into liquidation, and they'll just be as expensive as when you saw them.
0: Yeah, that's one thing that I'm kind of hearing conflicting reports on. I'm I'm hearing some people say, well, now there's going to be a huge sale because they have to get rid of everything, whereas I hear other people saying, well, now everything's going to have the price jacked way up because they're trying to account for all the losses and trying to keep the losses at a minimum.
1: Well... There's a little expose here, even here in Austin, about how if it's owned by a liquidation company, usually they won't take a loss on the products that they sell. So there possibly could be a discount, but nothing extraordinary, nothing below the retail price. So anything you buy there, you could probably still find it cheaper online as opposed to at Circuit City. Yeah, and
0: online's about the only place I buy anything anymore, I mean, for any electronic stuff, I always, unless it's computer part related, which, that stuff I get from Newegg, but otherwise, everything I get from Amazon, because I'm an Amazon Prime member, the store, I get free second day shipping or overnight shipping for four bucks, and I don't have to pay sales tax, and plus stuff is always a whole lot cheaper on there, especially if you're looking at, like, HDMI cables, so, I mean, I that, especially in these economic times, buying off of Amazon makes a whole lot more sense than buying in Circuit City or even Best Buy, which I hate just about as much as Circuit City.
1: Yeah, you could probably attribute this downfall all the way back to, I think, an announcement uh, two years ago when there were... Was... Uh, hiring some of their long-time uh, sorry firing some of their long-time labor laborers and hiring people with less experience for cheaper. And so they lost a lot of their expertise when they made that move and right after that just in an effort to try to save money looks like they're going to have to close all together.
0: Yeah, they they really needed to do something different but that certainly wasn't it. I don't know they, I've had a number of ideas over the, all, all along of things that they could do and stuff and all. And I think most all of them I have posted on the blog which is globalgeeknews.com slash blog but I, getting towards the end there especially when I started hearing the rumors about them and Blockbuster I knew things weren't going to ever look up again
1: Yeah, I just hope that their real estate investments get sold really quickly because that's one thing I really hate about a store closing is seeing a dead store in the middle of a shopping district and it sits there forever. Uh,
0: I know it won't fill in quickly around here. You Around here, whenever someplace that has a big building goes out of business, it usually stays empty for all, for several years we had a, a, a Hastings store I don't know if you have those stores down there but mm-hmm. they're great big stores that is largely about video and video rentals they have game rentals huge music section for buying music and books and they're pretty much kind of an anything entertainment kind of thing without getting into the whole electronics end of it but they closed back when I was a freshman in high school, and it took them, well, it was, I think it took them four or five years before they finally got something in there, and it turned out to be an office depot. But I think that was more a case of the owner of the little shopping plaza being a little bit more of a jerk than anything else. Cause I guess supposedly the story around that was that they were ready to sign a new lease while well, at the very last day the owner of the building decided he wanted to double the lease they said forget that we'll be out by the end of the week and they closed that afternoon without anybody wow. even knowing
1: but, well do you know uh, one store that won't close? Mm, no the Apple iStore Yeah, apparently
0: they've just now hit their five hit 500 million downloads, which is certainly an impressive number. Although I'm kind of curious to know just how many of those are tip calculators and farting noises.
1: Some of them are probably a lot of free apps like uh, Twitter apps or or just. Games that you shake and you can roll some dice or something like that. I mean one large distraction that I have when I'm sitting around doing nothing in the middle of nowhere is just messing around with my phone, and the app store sounds like a good outlet for people who are in that situation.
0: yeah i've that's the one thing that that's probably about the only thing really that's ever made me desire an iPhone just because I'm not a big fan of AT&T. But I, that's part of the reason I'm considering getting a one of the Android G1s. But I, I've I've been really surprised at some of the stories that I've heard from some of the app developers that make this stuff of how much money they're making off uh, some of this stuff. I know I've got a... My cousin has a friend that made tens of thousands of dollars on some election app that he did for the iPhone. And I don't, I don't even know how many downloads he had, but I'm sure uh, it was quite a few. Even if he had it, was was $0.99 cents or whatever.
1: Yeah, I hope this story really helps promote other stores for other devices, like the BlackBerry or Windows Mobile or the G1, the Android platform, or... And even the uh, Palm Pre. I hope all this really fosters innovation and drives drives application development to all these other platforms.
0: I think it certainly legitimizes the space. I don't. It. I don't know. Windows Mobile and there's been a number of others. Have you been able to create your own apps for those for years? But I think that. Having one actual app store, I think, is really what set them apart and has launched them as far ahead as they are.
1: And I think the app store, to its detriment, being a closed platform, gives an edge to anybody else who does a dedicated app store and does let it be open, just like the the Android platform, to anybody who wants to participate. I think that slight difference will give the edge eventually to those other app stores.
0: Yeah, I, that that's the one complaint I've always had about this. And I, Again, never having one of these, an iPod Touch or an iPhone. But that having a, such a walled garden like that is probably my biggest complaint. And it, it makes sense for security, but at the same time, with as much as they're... Um, restricting apps and stuff just because they don't like something or there's a bad word or whatever. I think that's really hurting the app store more than it's helping it. And I I think that's really what's going to set the Android app store apart and even the Palms WebOS app store when it comes around.
1: I'm just waiting for an app to come out of the app store that basically breaks the app store. You load this application and there's a back door in it that scoots by the q a group, and this application now allows you to, allows you to load other applications, yeah, kind of like loading a jailbreak application from that from the app store
0: yeah, see, I'm wondering just how thorough their process is because it seems like sometimes it's extremely thorough, and they don't let through a lot of stuff that should be let through. And other times, it's like, okay, why would you let this through and not let something else through?
1: Yeah, their vetting process is probably depending on if you get Inspector A or if you get Inspector B. It's probably up to each individual tester's personal discretion.
0: Yeah, I've got that feeling. I don't know, I think they just need to do like Google does charge $20 to get into the store, and then after that, upload everything, but keep a blacklist so that if something is
1: a security issue, you can take it down. Yeah. Well, the store's healthy, and it's thriving. That's clear to see. But it looks like Steve Jobs is not doing as well.
0: Yeah, earlier this week he was it this week or last week, I think it was early this week, that he said that he was going to be taking a leave of, ap- leave of absence from Apple for at least until June, and then he'd be back. But based on whatever rumor you listen to, that may not be the case.
1: I was reading the story, and it was very surprising that Right before he said he's taking a leave of absence, before that, he was saying that, you know, it's no big deal. It's just a hormone imbalance. And I don't know whether or not he had a doctor's appointment scheduled and and he forgot about it. And then he finally go to his doctor's appointment and the the results came back or what. Either he was deceiving us previously or it just shows how uninformed he is about his own status. It's one of those two
0: yeah he says that it's that his health issues have become more complicated and there there seems to be two major rumors going around one being he has pancreatic cancer the other being that he needs a liver transplant the liver the i saw that yesterday that needing a, that him needing a liver transplant was on bloomberg news i guess and then reported through gizmodo which is how i found out about it which I seem to think, I think that one's a little bit more credible than the pancreatic cancer, but I'm by no means a medical professional.
1: Regardless of what the problem ultimately is, I don't think we can really trust anything that he said publicly because of the obvious deception that he sent out to the public a few weeks ago. Uh,
0: I think it's clear that whatever is going on has been going on for quite a while and everything from between the weight loss to him backing out at Macworld. I, I think this is really just kind of a way to get people used to the idea of him not being around Apple anymore that assuming he even survives in the next year that I would like I would venture to say that he'll be retiring in the next in either this
1: year or next. I think it's very smart for him to make that announcement now instead of letting it dwindle out later. Uh, Usually in any company, the quarter one is going to be the worst hit. And so it's good for them to absorb these losses now than have it take any other product launches or any major developments or any other launches uh, that could really give their stock a boost.
0: What I'm curious to see is if with him being gone, if that's gonna stifle any products coming out of Apple, because MacWorld seemed to be just one big disappointment, where everybody was kind of wanting a little bit more than iLife, iWork, and I mean the new MacBook Pro was decent, but I think somebody, I think everybody was kind of expecting something a little bit more exciting than that.
1: Yeah. It's... The hopefully that this will help the company be more of a company run by a group of people instead of a company run by one individual and that they can use this time to learn and to grow and hopefully they'll merge out of this stronger than uh, stronger than when they were just censured on one person
0: Yeah, it's certainly done, done a number to their stock price it was at 90 on Monday and then you can tell kind of when the announcement came on Thursday or actually it was after hours on Thursday when all of a sudden it just dropped and now it's hovering around eighty two dollars a share. So Yeah,
1: you know, that's you... a that's a hit, but that's not a huge hit.
0: Yeah, I had originally predicted as soon as I had heard the news I had predicted it would go down to seventy five. So I don't know, it I I would say it could still hit that, but I kinda of figured it would hit that within the next day after the announcement.
1: Right. Hopefully they can ride a wave going up, too. Uh, In the next few weeks, they probably will make some significant announcements that will counteract the reaction of the stock going down.
0: Yeah, I think they've got to do something major. Between between Steve Jobs taking a leave of absence, a disappointing Mac world, and a bad economy, I think they've really got to do something major to try and turn things around. I mean I, I still think their price at eighty two dollars a share is still a bargain, but I I think they were I think they're getting into a little bit of trouble right now. And I, it was earlier this week I didn't even think to put it in the show notes, but I saw a story about supposedly Apple is losing market share to Acer now. So I with stories like that I think they're in for a rough some rough times ahead.
1: Well, Apple's still the premium brand, and Acer seems to be, especially with their EEPCs, been positioning themselves as an obtainable brand from uh, a budget standpoint. So I can see exactly in this climate, as I keep bringing up, how that could foster someone who's already in, in that market, especially with Apple saying that there's no way that they can figure out how to make a cheap computer. So if you can't if they if there's none in the pipeline, why wait to get something cheap when you can get it now and not wait for Apple to figure it out
0: yeah i I've been a user of Acer since I was in high school just because they've always seemed to be the cheaper one of the brands, and you get a great value with it. I, right now, I've got their new Acer Aspire 1 netbook, which I absolutely love and use just about every night. But And I think the lack of a netbook from Apple is really what's going to hurt them, especially against companies like Acer
1: and Asus. Okay. The bigger question is, now that there's a huge void in Apple with Steve Jobs being gone, do you think that they're going to try to hire some talent to try to supplement some of the the mindshare that they lost?
0: I don't think so just because I think then that would just kind of send the wrong message that Steve Jobs isn't coming back and that we're actually really in trouble without him. So I, and I don't think that's really a message that they want to convey at this point when thing, when their future isn't looking too bright as it is. So I I don't know, it, it might not be necessarily be a bad idea, but I don't think that's kind of the message that they want to send.
1: Sure. I see how they're trying to present a strong front, but... The, way th- the rumors that are flying now doesn't seem like they are going to plan for his loss if, it, if worst case happens that he can't come back or he's out longer. I think that it being the way things are, that it has been identified that that is a weak point in their company. And not planning for that is not very smart.
0: I think any time you depend on one single person or one point of failure, then and if something happens to that, then I think you're pretty much screwed unless you can try and change things around
1: really quickly. Yeah, it looks like Twitter's a- acquiring some talent. They've hired a, a biz dev guru.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know, I... Can't, I've heard two different sides of this. One is that they're supposed to kind of more manage all their contracts and stuff with like different mobile carriers and stuff. And others I've heard that this is supposed to be about creating a business model, which why they really need to hire somebody to find a business model when there's so many ideas floating out there seems to be a little crazy to me, but they've they've hired this Kevin Thaw, I guess is his name. Apparently he used to work at BuzzWire and OpenWave to be the director of their mobile business development, which, I don't know, I probably should have looked into him a little bit more. I'm kind of curious to see what he can really bring to the company after Twitter has already had some major issues getting some of their messages and stuff to different mobile carriers and even discontinuing some of the services offered to mobile carriers because it's just gotten to
1: be too expensive for them. I think the first thing Twitter needs to do is work on their consistency. If someone buys time or hires a service, usually you have to have some sort of SLA, which is a service-level agreement, of a percentage of uptime. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to buy depending on how they hire or, or, or dole out their services, if I'm going to buy three months of service from Twitter to advertise my X number of services or whatever, I want to make sure that the three months that I pay for is the three months I get. And what they're doing is, in, is hiring someone who can sell it probably to get some cash in quick. But I know as a person who might purchase that, Unless I'm giving some sort of guarantee, I want to make sure that I get my money's worth.
0: Yeah, I I completely uh, agree on that. I don't know. I think Twitter's I think, has gotten a whole lot better about its uptime than it used to be. I think it crashed for short for a few minutes yesterday, as I recall. I think it was yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah. But, I don't know. It, I think it's on the right track now that it seems to... That there have been enough changes within the company and how they and their architecture and everything, I think they're a whole lot better off in that respect. But I and I don't know. If it I think it's just kind of depending on how they advertise as to where you'd actually need some kind of a service level agreement like that. If you're if they went to using something like Google AdSense, it's basically it's their benefit to stay up, but there's nothing saying that they have to. Right.
1: But I I fear that Twitter will be the next MySpace. It might be the hottest thing around until a viable alternative shows up that has better services and then they quickly fade to the background.
0: Yeah, I I think that's possible, but with the amount of momentum that Twitter has right now, and I think I saw something last week saying that they had grown some like 470% or something like that in the past year and just given the user base that it has, I don't don't think there will be anything to supersede it anytime soon. I think it's coming but I don't think that will happen anytime soon. Personally, I don't use it as much as I used to. I've migrated over to friend feed but i think i think for the near future at least for the next year or two i think they're okay
1: what do you think if the iphone came out with mobile iChat just like skype will allow you to do chatting and video and all that and everyone who uses an iphone moves over to that instead of twitter Do you think that could take a significant chunk out of Twitter?
0: I think it's possible, but the problem with that being you would be tied to one device rather than something that kind of runs on all platforms.
1: But if you look at the people who have the most followers on Twitter, though, what percentage of those people do you think either use an iPhone or use a Mac?
0: I would probably say a majority of them. I haven't looked at the top list lately, but I know that of what I know of, the top number of them, they primarily use a Mac.
1: And if you take out the head of Twitter, will the body die soon after, or will it regenerate another head?
0: I think that with Twitter the way it is, they're being such a large number of people that have a fewer number of followers and then just a few number of people that have tens of thousands of followers I think that it could probably regenerate another head without much of a problem because I really don't think that a lot of the people that have tens of thousands of followers are really that crucial to Twitter
1: Yeah I think this all is based on a viable alternative Right now there isn't one, so Twitter doesn't have much to uh, worry about. But I hope that they constantly are looking at their uptime and their user base and make sure that that what what the users want is something that they're always being the customer of. I don't want them to be, uh, with this new BizDev guy, be focused just on making money on it. I hope they still keep their focus on their users.
0: Yeah, so do I. And the thing is, when it comes to competition and trying to get something that knocks Twitter off its pedestal, whenever you have something as big as Twitter is and as popular as Twitter is, you have to have a service that I believe to be a minimum of 50 to 75% better than the existing top service, which in this case being Twitter. And I just don't see enough creativity or thought process being around trying to be that much better right now that could really knock Twitter off its pedestal in, in,
1: anywhere in the near future. We'll just have to wait and see, but it'll be nice to see something of that size uh, emerge. Choice is always good. Competition is always good, and I think it would only foster Twitter to make be better if there was another viable alternative
0: yeah I th- it'll happen it i think it'll just take a while but speaking of things that have taken a while but have finally happened sony has finally sold its 50 millionth playstation 2 in north america Woohoo! <laughs> do you are you one of the 50 million ps2 owners
1: I have never owned a PS2. I'm not big in the gaming, but I can see how they can get $50 especially when you look at the price of consoles today and the huge library that the PlayStation 2 has. And it's already been seen that the gaming industry has not been hurt by this recession. Instead, it actually has been re-energized. And if I was someone who wanted to purchase a game console, I would seriously look at the PlayStation 2. It's It still is, uh, is a, a pretty modern gaming system, even though it doesn't do high def, but the games are cheap, the console's cheap, and it still can provide some really good entertainment.
0: Yeah, it's a great system. I've owned two of them. I owned one of the ones when they very first came <coughs> out, which I left running for about four years straight without really ever turning it off and it ended up ruining the disc drive after about 4 years. So now I'm on one of the <coughs> PlayStation 2 Slims and which seemed to work just as well. And I'm actually kind of surprised that they're still getting um, these great numbers with the new generation of consoles out there. And I, I think the big difference really is price. But there's a couple of things that really surprised me about these numbers. One, that 43 of the 50 million PS2 units were sold in the U.S. I had always thought that the PS2 was a whole lot bigger in Japan than it than these numbers would indicate. So I'm kind of surprised that that many have come from the U.S. and not from Japan or Europe or anywhere else. And the second being that apparently in November... 206,000 PS2s were sold in America, whereas they only sold 172,000 PS3s in that same time period. So it's kind of surprising to me that the PS2 is still outselling the PS3 by quite a bit. But in the end, I think that's still all down to
1: price more than anything. And I wonder where they're buying these systems. I'm I'm not a gamer, and I can... I can say that I haven't really seen any PS2s on the shelves anywhere that I've been.
0: Um, I, I see them all over. I, I still see them at GameStops and Walmarts and everything. I don't think they have as big of a game selection in the cabinets anymore than they used to, just because everyone's trying to get everybody to move up to the new console. But I think but systems are still widely available. I think it's just finding a decent-sized selection of games is becoming harder and harder.
1: Do you know how much they're selling for?
0: Last I knew, I think it was around 120 I think. And, of course, with a system that old, you can find tons of really cheap and used games. But last right. I knew it was at 120 Let me check Amazon to see what they're going for now.
1: Well, the number one selling... Game system is the Nintendo DS, and that's around that same price point. So I can see see why someone would choose a, a PlayStation Two, where the games actually might be cheaper than a DS, uh, instead of instead of getting the DS.
0: Yeah, one thirty according to Amazon. So it was off by ten dollars. Yeah, I, okay. I think when you get down into that price range, I think that's kind of where you get to be the affordable console and I think that's largely why the PlayStation 2 is done as well as it has and up until somewhat recently with the Wii it was still the best selling of anything console or handheld and I, I really think the price point is the reason why I mean the library of thousands of games helps too but I think the price point is why and I think if any of the other consoles, be it the Wii or the PS3 or whatever, if they came down to that $130 or thereabouts price range, I think you would see their numbers go through the roof.
1: When do you think you'll see the PlayStation 2 tell off into where their sales are insignificant compared to the other consoles? I could give it two years. Two more years?
0: Yeah. I think by the end of next year, I I think they'll be, I think it'll probably be more or less dead. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's dead anyway, but that's just from the way I personally use mine and the fact that my PS3 still has backwards compatibility with the PS2, although newer PS3s don't have that. But I would I would say it's got about two years left in it. I'm hearing... I keep hearing a lot of people with their predictions saying that the new generation of consoles, like the Xbox 720 or the PS4, or whatever will start will be announced this year, which I don't see any chance of that whatsoever. I don't. I think the consoles are still a little bit too new and have too much life in them for that. I know Sony said that the they want the PS3 to last 10 years, so. We still got quite a few years on that, but
1: yeah, I don't see them cannibalizing their sales by announcing a unit, and, and when they're just now starting to get uh, their manufacturing down to 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 be the most cost effective.
0: Yeah, I really don't think it's going to happen. The only thing I could see anything new coming out of this year would be uh, PSP two. I think I think we're. I'm I would put money on the fact that we'll have a PSP2 announced at uh, oh shoot now I can't even think of it the E3 E3 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we'll see a PSP2 announced there and then I don't remember the exact date but I know that the Nintendo DSI should be coming here Sometime this year. So I, I think those are going to be the made, the two big things this year. But I really don't see any of the consoles being replaced or any announcements of a successor by any means.
1: Well, there's never been an announcement of a Xbox portable. Do you think that's on the horizon anytime soon?
0: Mm, not from what I heard from interviews coming out of... uh. CES. I can't remember who the interview was with. I'm sure it wasn't Steve Ballmer. It was the other guy that um, helped with the keynote. I can't think of his name. But he made it pretty clear that that's just not something that they really want to look at at this point. They want to stay focused with the Xbox. And one would presume the next version of the Xbox rather than trying to get into the the handheld gaming market. I think if they really wanted to try and get into the handheld gaming market, they should try and make more of a play on Windows Mobile to see how that would work out for them rather than just trying to jump in with a whole new handheld at this point.
1: Yeah, well, there's been rumors of the Zune phone, and then there's a big shroud of secrecy on Windows Mobile 7. So I wouldn't be surprised if they snuck in a a gaming Xbox portable in that by just upping up the video accelerator, uh, the 3D accelerator on that. It'd be an interesting play, and I think it would be a good play.
0: Yeah, I've been looking forward to see what they... With the next version of Windows Mobile, I don't think that there will be a Zoom. Well, I don't know if I want to say that there won't be a Zoom phone. I'm just... I've seen some sketches and stuff of the Zoom phone in the past, but I the more I think about it, I don't think we'll see a Zoom phone. I think at this point, there you may see the Zoom software and the ability to have the same functions as a Zune in a Windows mobile phone, but I really don't think they'll have a dedicated Zune phone anytime soon.
1: Well, if there was a Zune phone and an Xbox phone, and then there's a separate Windows mobile, I, I, I would think that depending on if you're a gamer or if you really love music, and but you don't necessarily want all the business functions of a Windows mobile phone, I think that'd be a viable alternative.
0: Yeah, I I think they're gonna try and do something more powerful with Windows with the next version of Windows Mobile just because of how many people are getting the iPhone because of how mi- how much power it has compared to a lot of other phones and can do a lot of things like gaming and stuff. So I think that's really really where Microsoft is gonna step up and try and compete there rather than trying to come out with some special new phone, like the Zoom phone.
1: Well, whatever phone they come out with, I think they're going to sell it everywhere instead of Best Buy. Unlike the Palm Pre.
0: Yeah, according to the rumor, at least for the first couple of months of the release of the, of the Palm's new Pre, supposedly Best Buy is going to be the one, the only one selling it, at least for the first two months, according to a credible source. This coming from WebOS Arena, I guess.
1: The only way that this makes sense is if Palm is getting some money, or, or either that or Sprint is dictating the terms. Because if I was Palm, I want my... Device to be everywhere. I want people to be able to get it anywhere they want. So, if they're getting a kickback from Best Buy, it makes sense. Or if they're getting some sort of co uh, co marketing plan in which Best Buy will really, really advertise the Palm Pre as a premium device for everyone to come there and get it. I can see how it would be their advantage. But other than that, this this doesn't make sense to
0: me. I think an idea like this is kind of really where. Apple shot itself in the foot with the iPhone because when you have a phone with that much hype and it's that popular, being tied to either a single carrier or only being sold at the carrier store or the the Apple store, I think is really where they hurt themselves. And I I don't know if this is going to be such a bad idea for the pre or for the Palm Pre, just because it's only it's rumored to only be for two months. If that's the case, I think they'll be okay with it. I think that might be a decent deal, depending on what kind of money they get, and it, it's not out of the question, just because Sprint's done this in the past, because they did it with the Samsung Instinct. But I've never been a big fan of exclusivity deals, by any means. So I think this one is, isn't going to be as as bad as what the iPhones was, but I still think that for something like this, when you when you have a whole new platform, regardless it's a whole new phone, you want to get it on as many devices and as in as and in as many locations as possible, just because Palm is in a do or die position right now, and kind of boxing yourself into a corner isn't something that they need to be trying to do.
1: Best Buy has been selling phones for a long time and I haven't heard any horror, horror stories from people buying phones from them, either by getting their number ported or things not working correctly uh, or the salespeople not being knowledgeable, but I think this will be a true test of their ability to, to sell phones because uh, even greater than an instinct, I think this Palm Pre will sell better than that.
0: Yeah, I... I'm sure it probably will. I don't know. I have i don't know about when it comes to dealing with phones, but I never really had much in the way of a good experience with Best Buy and having, in terms of having knowledgeable employees. Well, maybe there was once. But I don't know. I've, I'm just not a real big fan of this move just because I don't think that's the position that Palm should be putting itself in given the fact that this is basically kind of their last stand, and if they don't do well, then that's pretty much the end of Palm.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where we'll look at the judgment call and determine if it was the right one or the wrong one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, as long as, I don't... Ex- exclusivity deals aren't necessarily a bad thing as long as they're short, but the longer they go on, the more they hurt you in the
1: long run. Yeah. Two months seems like a good time. Uh, it's a good way to feel feel out how things are going to go, and maybe, hopefully, maybe they can leverage this for other stores to get better deals and better product placement and better shelf space when they do launch at other stores.
0: Yeah, it kind of has that trial run kind of a feel to it, it's where they see what how they how it's going to do and everything, and then adjust their strategy accordingly when they give it to other
1: stores. It wouldn't, it, when they do go large scale, that's when they have to really, really look at their distribution channel. And as I said, this is a good judgment call on if, if it does work out correctly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see... How the handset manufacturers are going to react to this compared to the fact that a lot of them are already starting to jump on board with doing Android phones. And I'm kind of curious to see if how many were, would be willing to shift focus to do something more related to the Palm's web OS compared to just sticking with Android.
1: With the openness of the Android App Store, it is very possible that someone could take the Palm Pre App Store and shove it into the Android App Store because of its web OS and its web utilities. uh, I see no reason why they wouldn't be able to run the same applications on Android. Um, I
0: I think the only... um... Possible problem with running the same applications would be from a technical standpoint, in that everything on Android is basically Java and XML, whereas everything on WebOS is HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So, I, I mean, other than the issue of basically porting everything from one to the other, I I don't I would say that that's certainly possible.
1: Yeah. Well. There are full web browsers on both, so it, it, there is possibility that they can leverage the same platform.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of online stuff, apparently a judge is going to allow the streaming of the of an RIAA case in oh, it's out on the East Coast. I can't even think of where it's at now.
1: This seems cool, but it also seems like it could show the RIAA's cards in this case. If everybody knows how, generally, how they run through their arguments when they go to try to prosecute somebody, it could really show some real weaknesses that could be taken advantage of in, in, in cases going forward in the future.
0: Yeah, I think the judge made a really great decision here. Um, this is basically the case where the Harvard, where a Harvard law professor is basically taking it up as a lawyer for somebody whose name I can't even think of, but it's basically the law professor and all of his law students are getting together to defend this person just to take on the RIAA and see how they can do
1: Well, his name is Joel Tenenbaum, and uh, they have a website called Joel Fights Back and a Twitter handle of the same name. Mm -hmm. And on the website, it says that the RIAA is looking for a million dollars for seven songs that were allegedly downloaded.
0: Yeah, the RIAA is just playing nuts anyway. But I... I really. I love the decision from the judge because the way that the judge sees it is that all along the RIAA has been saying that this is basically all the lawsuits and everything is just kind of a way of creating awareness so that people will stop pirating music. But if you can't see what's going on in the court case and just how these things play out, that kind of defeats the purpose. And if you have a. Uh, court case like this where it's all out in the open and anybody can watch, that would do a whole lot more to create awareness about the issues than just being real quiet about it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing is that they want—they want, they don't want people to think that they're prosecuting people. They want the RIAA wants the, the public to think they're prosecuting criminals. And I think that the streaming will put a human face on this whole litigation and my Increase the backlash towards the RIAA.
0: Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see just how this goes or if the RIAA would even consider dropping it at this point. I, I think that's a real possibility considering whenever they've come up against resistance in the past, a lot of times they've been known to drop their suits. But, I don't know, this is... I guess, kind of on a trial basis. Supposedly, this is just for a the January 22nd court hearing. The actual case, the actual trial isn't until the end of March. But this should be interesting to watch, and hopefully the judge will let it keep going throughout the whole trial and not just one hearing.
1: I think they're just seeing if there's going to be either technical limitations or some sort of distraction caused by this. And if I see, if, if the judge sees no problem with it, I, I bet it will continue through the rest of the case.
0: Yeah. Um, the only real objection that the RIAA could even make against this was that it would kind of, like, taint the jury pool, basically. But the judge threw that out, saying that, basically, people can get this information, have been able to get information on cases before from newspapers, TV, and the internet, and they've still done okay. So, then that there's a system to filter people out that have gotten too much information about stuff like this. So, basically, their whole idea of this kind of tainting the jury pool just kind of fell on deaf ears.
1: Yeah. I think the amount of people who will actually be watching the stream will pre- be pretty minimum. Uh, So I don't think that they have to worry anything about that.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of copyrighted music, apparently YouTube has now taken to muting videos with unauthorized copyrighted music.
1: I thought this was very interesting. If they've identified that videos have unauthorized material in it, why have they chosen not to take it down, instead leave it up But muted is this a way of of still being able to funnel traffic to YouTube and uh, to get their advertising money, but yet still, uh, uh, but but yet still try to punish the people who have the copyright infringements.
0: I think so. I think it's. I don't know. I was. I heard earlier this week that supposedly YouTube pays eight cents per play of a music video or whatever to the labels for whenever something gets played that's owned by a music label or whatever they pay them eight cents so I think this is still a way of being able to to allow people to like watch music videos and stuff with the music actually not being paid so they don't have to pay the eight cents and still get the ad dollars rather than completely taking the video down but it seems like they're still doing a little bit of both because earlier this week I was looking for something I don't even remember what and the the record labels or the TV producers or whatever had had most of the videos taken down but there were a couple that were still up except they were completely and totally muted throughout the entire thing
1: We'll see how this goes. Either people were saying when YouTube took out all their copyright content that YouTube would die, and that didn't seem to happen, but I don't think they've really taken a lot of their content down. Uh, If if they really put forth the effort to find all the copyrighted songs and music and then mute those videos, if they're going to do that more wholeheartedly that I think that this really could hurt YouTube so we'll just have to wait and see on this one
0: yeah I think if they actually went through and enforced this really hard I think they would find themselves with a whole lot less views and a lot less content but I don't know I kind of see this as almost useless because if they're muting everything just because there's some music that could be even just be playing in the background or something like that. It kind of makes the video kind of useless.
1: Yeah. I would like to see some t- statistics around this about what percentage of the videos they feel will be affected by, by this action.
0: Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think they're too open with some of their numbers. I don't think I was kind of surprised that they even let it slip that they, 8 cents per played video to the record labels whenever they have a song on the video or whatever.
1: That's a huge amount of money.
0: Yeah, I that was what shocked me the most is how much money that is because if you get someone on there like Beyonce or something like that that gets millions and millions of plays, they're essentially cutting million dollar plus checks to the record companies.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, that's going to be a sieve. And Google might one time, might one day, just say, you know, we're shutting down YouTube. We can't get it to work. And maybe come up with a, a different kind of video model in the future. But uh, that's a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I, I and that I think that's part of why YouTube is making no money is because. $0.08, cents, that's a lot. Even if you cut that to half, I think that's still quite a bit. I think maybe 2 or $0.03 cents is something a little bit more reasonable, and I think that's probably what YouTube should try and go after is 2 or $0.03 cents instead of $0.08 cents per play.
1: I wonder if this would lend to maybe YouTube being a fee-based service, even though I think it would lose a lot of Membership, but if they allowed anything and everything on YouTube and didn't filter at all, and was willing to pass on that money over to the uh, different industries like the RIAA, if that would fly.
0: I'd never really thought too much about that, but that that sounds like that would certainly be a great idea, as where basically you could essentially upload whatever copyrighted stuff you wanted, assuming you pay a fee, and then that fee would go towards the record labels for you putting their stuff up there. I I think that would be a pretty interesting idea to try out.
1: Well, if that is what they propose to ISPs, that they pay a blanket pirate pirate fee, then I wouldn't see why they wouldn't do that for YouTube, in which they can just pay a blanketed pirated fee and then uh, allow their users to do whatever they want.
0: Yeah, I think the only reason that that really wouldn't catch on, because it, just because it kind of feels like it's legitimizing piracy, basically. Is to where a lot of these people, chances are they didn't get get the music or whatever by legal means, and then going ahead and uploading it on there. I, I don't think that's quite the message that they really want to send. I, I think it's a good idea, but I just don't think that's really the message they want to send.
1: Well, the only reason why the RAAA is concerned about pirating is because they're not getting paid for it. And if they give YouTube a blanket license saying you can have anything you want as long as we get some steady income and a good revenue stream, I think they'd be fine with it.
0: Yeah, they might be. The RAAA might not like it too much, but at least the record labels would probably be a little bit more on board with it. Right. But I know, of, I would
1: I would pay ten bucks a year to be able to watch whatever I want online
0: yeah, so would I I, I think that would be a great way of doing it But I spent, and considering how much stuff I do online that probably isn't necessarily legal that would probably be a smart idea for me to take up but we can come back to the piracy discussion in a little bit because now it's time to talk about teens sending nude pictures of themselves to their friends and are now facing child pornography charges.
1: Yeah, this is funny. <laughs> um, it's sad, but it's funny. But uh, I think this law is all lopsided that it's what they're saying is that two girls sent pictures of themselves nude to two guys, and the guys themselves were using their phone in school and would, was they were caught uh, with the photos of these new girls on their phones. But they didn't have any control of what they got sent, so why are they getting prosecuted for it?
0: Yeah, I'm not... I can't even figure out which is the most questionable part of this whole stupid thing. And you got these girls in, Green, in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, that are 14 or 15, sending pictures of themselves to a couple of guys that are 16 and 17 that were using their phone during school hours and had their phone taken away by the teachers, and apparently the teachers just decided to go snooping through the phone and found these pictures, which, that seems a little bit off. And then, on top of that, apparently, they're being charged with possession of child porn while the girls are being charged with manufacturing, disseminating, or possessing child pornography.
1: Yeah, usually when I hear something about someone being a distributor of pornography, I would think it's one to many, not one to one. Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't think that just because they send it to one person, I think they have to, just like with drug trafficking, they have to have enough of it to show an intent to distribute. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this is right off of a story, I think it was last month, the, of a study that was done that said that apparently 20% of all teens have sent nude photos of themselves to somebody else electronically. So it's not like this is a small issue. This is something that's actually quite common. And apparently uh, more than two-thirds of those who have sent photos claim that they've sent something to a boyfriend or girlfriend but they've also found that about 15% say that they've sent something only to someone that they know from the internet and things still tend to get shared with other people
1: when I was a kid there were uh, polaroids were the big thing and people sent polaroids with questionable pictures in them. And I just think this is just, kids will be kids. This is always going to happen. Just because they're using their cell phones, they would just try to find another way of doing it. If they weren't, they would use web webcams. Or even if they had, you know, back in the days, they used scanners to send questionable pictures to people that they knew or, or may barely know. So I think this goes back to parenting and this is not something that the law really needs to get involved with because it's just one to one
0: yeah i i don't know it, it, i never came across any of this stuff myself i've i've never i assumed it was always going on in my school and stuff but none of nothing like this was ever shared with me i wasn't one of those people and so I don't, I've don't. never actually been involved in a situation like this, although the number of 20% of teens having sent nude pictures of themselves doesn't surprise me, given just kind of how the state of teenagers are these days. But I think they have gone a little bit overboard in this case, and I, I really don't think that they should basically have their... Lives ruined and be and be considered like a sexual predator or something like that just for something like this.
1: Yeah, this. What is I wonder what the punishment is? Is it something that they could actually get sent to jail for?
0: I'm I'm sure it is. I would guess that maybe because of their age, they may get they may go to juvie, but I would say that they would, that punishment wise they could end up in jail
1: we'll just have to see if this does uh, get sent to a judge or a jury and what happens after that Um, hopefully this is the last that we'll hear of this that it won't go any further than this and that it'll fizzle out and die
0: yeah hopefully it'll get thrown out because it's just a really stupid case of people overreacting I think
1: Yeah, think... 20%. This does sound like a huge number, though.
0: Yeah. Well, I think a, a lot of people, especially older adults, don't realize that it's that common. And without realizing that and seeing these numbers and stuff, I think that's kind of where they're getting their reaction from, is that they're probably thinking this is this isn't very common, this is outrageous and whatever, when actually it happens all the time.
1: Yeah. 95% seems like a bigger number, though.
0: Yes, it does. Apparently, 95% of music downloads are pirated. According to IFP, which is basically kind of like the international version of the RIAA, that they estimate that only 5% of music downloads are purchased legally.
1: One, I, I read this article... Uh, I'll link through the the PDF and uh, FP seems to be a global organization, not just uh, here in the US, like the RAAA so they didn't really break down that 95% of, is that 95% of the world is what I assume but I wonder how much of that is in the US as opposed to Europe and other countries
0: Yeah, I I would assume they're speaking in the global sense because FP is always kind of the big one that's kind of been after the Pirate Bay and several others. But when it comes to organizations like these, I never trust any numbers that they come out with because usually down the road they end up being proven wrong. So I, I, I probably wouldn't trust these numbers. I mean, the number sounds like it could possibly be right, but at the same time it still sounds a bit high, especially when things like iTunes are selling billions of songs.
1: And one thing I found very interesting when reading the, the report is that even though that's one of the first things that they mentioned in their first on their first page about the ninety five percent pirate rate, they also state later on in the report that in the United States, two thousand eight was the highest ever sales of of music. Ever. Mm-hmm. And they said that the download rate for legitimate downloads uh, has increased in that portion of sales from 10% all the way up to 15%. So that downloading is the future, and that it's just growing exponentially.
0: Yeah, I think it was, I don't remember, it was real recent that I saw something, some numbers that were showing that basically piracy wasn't growing that much, even though the the amount that was being pirated is growing quite a bit, it was basically showing that the number of piraters wasn't necessarily growing, but the people that pirate a lot of, of stuff were pirating more than what they used to, so I, I think that could be part of how these statistics come about, being that a lot of people download a lot of stuff, whereas the people that are getting stuff that just get one or two at a time illegally I'm speaking uh, they don't they aren't making they aren't downloading enough to really show what the numbers should be I suppose I should say
1: I also think a a little portion of this thing about FP being a global organization is that uh, not all music is available everywhere else so if you can't use iTunes in the UK to get the same songs as iTunes in the US, if you want that song and the only or the the most prominent legitimate place that you use to buy songs is iTunes, then you might go somewhere else to find that song that you want. And I think other countries that might be smaller that doesn't that don't even have an iTunes uh presence there they probably are probably a larger majority of the Piraters than, let's say, the U.S. or other prominent markets like the U.K.
0: Yeah, well, that's a, a large part of the problem of, that I've had in the past, is that I, I tend to like a lot of music that comes from groups over in Europe, but a lot of times they don't have record deals over here, or getting a hold of their stuff over here is very difficult or expensive because a lot of times I have to have it imported from Europe and there came a point where it's like okay I'm not even going to mess with this because even buying it off of Amazon like there was a music concert DVD that I got a couple years ago that was like 45, 50 bucks off of Amazon because I had to have it imported from England and justifying that cost is really hard to do so it's to an extent, it becomes easier just to pirate stuff rather than going through all that hassle and paying such an outrageous price just to get something
1: legitimately. When the point comes where you can get all music anywhere legally, I think you would see permanent uh pirate pirate statistics plummet to the point where it doesn't even make sense to pirate.
0: Well, that that's what would make sense, but, um, oh, now I can't even think of their names that did the, kind of, download and pay what you want thing last year, or was it last year or the year before? Uh, now I can't even think of their names.
1: It was, uh, the, the Nine Inch Nails.
0: No, not Nine Inch Nails. It was, it was the first group to do it. Radiohead, that's it. Radiohead. When they did the whole download it and then just come back and pay us whatever you think it's worth idea, they found that people still more pirated it off of BitTorrent networks than actually came to their site and downloaded it, even though it was free. So I, th- I think that over time, that would probably more be the case, but at least initially, I think people would still... Just prefer to get it off of like BitTorrent networks and stuff, even if they could get it from a more legitimate place like an iTunes Well the store.
1: thing is because BitTorrent's reliable it's yeah. more reliable than like going to the Amazon store or going to iTunes you you'll, you can almost guarantee that you can find it on BitTorrent and for for the example that you gave of of Radiohead, they said that they even though that it was pirated a lot and that it was variable pricing depending on whoever thought that it was worth it, they made more money on that album than any other album. Money right. as in they were able to take home. So in in that regard, even with the pirating, even with the variable pricing and people not choosing not to pay for it, it still was overwhelmingly successful.
0: Right, and I, I, th- I think that's kind of the way music should move, although I think it's more about what people's personal preferences in terms of where they get their stuff more than anything i mean i i'm a big BitTorrent person so that's kind of what i generally go to before i consider anything else although i am starting to move a little bit over to like i'm amazon's mp3 download service
1: but if we took the same example of the youtube and uh of of the YouTube article and we said that if you paid 10 bucks a month for BitTorrent access and it was free, I mean, if it was legal, would you go to anything else or would you just stay on BitTorrent?
0: I would probably stay on BitTorrent. It uh, it just kind of depends. I'm, a lot of it, when I go and look for stuff, it just kind of depends on the speed at which I can get it, how many peers and seeders and stuff there are and just how convenient it is. I I would prefer to probably stay on BitTorrent if I could, but if I could get something a whole lot quicker off of Amazon or somewhere else, then I, I would probably take that route. I think it's just about... I'm a creature of habit for as much as I can be, but there does come a point when I would be willing to switch based on convenience, I think.
1: Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't Amazon can get the same amount of catalog as BitTorrent? I think that, once again, pirated pirated materials will will plummet.
0: Yeah. I, I think you could probably get about the same content on Amazon that you can off of BitTorrent. It's just sometimes, especially when you're looking for older stuff, it's easier to find it on one place rather than another sometimes. I know there's been times when I've been looking for old movies or old music or something, something that's out of print that I can't get through an Amazon or some store, like a record store that I can order stuff as to where the only place I can find it is something like BitTorrent. So coming into those situations as often as I have, I think that's part of why that's kind of the first place I go.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: Well, I guess that pretty much is the show for today. it, It looks like we're running a little bit less than the last two shows. It looks like we're getting close to about an hour and 15 minutes instead of the hour and a half we have that we've been doing. So A little bit short of a show today, but I think it was still good show, nonetheless. Um, One thing I do want to say before we get going, if anybody happened to see the post on my blog at PCNerd37.com, hopefully, starting Monday, I am going to be doing short little daily videos about technology-related stuff. I'm not sure if I'm going to put it on Global Geek News or Global Geek News blog, so make sure to check both. Just doing little short videos about whatever I happen to be thinking about in technology that day. So it could be a rant about Circuit City, or I could be talking about violence in video games. Who knows? So make sure to look forward to that. That will be a daily thing. I'll probably try and do something that's just a couple minutes long. Five minutes, hopefully, at the most. Something like that. But that is coming on Monday. So... Anyway, do you have any announcements you'd like to make, Wesley?
1: Um, well, I just submitted my first uh, blog post to AMD, so hopefully that will be published on the AMD homepage pretty soon. Uh, I will be letting everybody know via Twitter, which my Twitter handle is Wesley83 when that is finally posted. Other than that, not much going on.
0: What, what's the post about?
1: It is about the future of home entertainment. It's debating whether or not is it streaming via Hulu or Netflix? Is it uh, disk distribution like Blu-ray? Or maybe it's just broadcast, PVR, cable, satellite, IPTV. It's just debating which one of these will be the predominant standard going forward.
0: Well, that should be interesting. I look forward to seeing it when it hits the home page so anyway I guess that'll do us for today I am Jeremy Ray also known as PCNerd37 on Twitter and friend feed and whatever else so and don't forget to check out the show notes at GlobalGeekNews.com and always make sure to check the Global Geek News blog where you can find all kinds of commentary on anything and everything technology related And don't forget to follow Wesley at Wesley83 on Twitter. And I guess that'll pretty much do us for today. Don't forget to check back for a show next week. Later.